1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the club that you didn't want to join.
2: We're the voice of red disease and this jingle doesn't rhyme. Nordpod, Nordpod, Nordpod. My name is Matthew Zachary, and welcome to NordPod, right here on the Offscript Media Network. Now, I've been advocating on behalf of cancer and rare disease patients for over 20 years. Why? Because I am one. NordPod is the official podcast of the National Organization for Rare Disorders. And a quick reminder before we get started, that if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other listeners like you discover the show. Now, let's get started. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to NordPod, the voice of rare disease. I got um, an emotional show for you today. I was really touched by this young man. And I say young man because I'm 48 and he's 27. Can I get away with that? I guess I can. Bobby Foster was born with cystic fibrosis. And has he got a story to tell you about what it's like to be a black man growing up with cystic fibrosis in this country? I need say no more. He is a content creator, a rapper, a producer, a spoken word poet, and we are going to spend a lot of the second half of the show talking about his artistic passions to tell stories based on his real life experiences. He's a relatively new dad. We're going to talk about how nearly all men with CF are infertile. So he very specifically went through an adoption process, which was harrowing. He is now an impassioned, loving dad. He is an incredibly prolific writer, and we're going to link to all of his blog posts. I am just so personally affected in all the best sense of who this guy is, what he's been through, how articulate and passionate he is about advocacy and serving the community and giving back. This is the consummate perfect use of storytelling here on NordPod, and I hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy talking to Bobby Foster. Let's go. Bobby Foster, welcome to NordPod. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Which is a kind of funny tongue in cheek thing to say because, you know, congratulations on having cystic fibrosis to come on the show. (laughs) The irony. (laughs) Total irony. I gotta be honest with you. I'm unfamiliar with cystic fibrosis as just a layperson. I've been living in the yeah. the cancer world for so long now, but I'm aware it's Ooh. a thing. I know it's not a great thing. I know it's not something you wish you had or gotten. You were born with it, which you know. I like to yeah, just joke. Thanks, disease, mom and dad. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I I just love to hear. I mean, your stories all over the place. We're gonna link to all your stuff. But like, just growing up from your parents' perspective, from your family perspective, from just adolescence and going to school, help me understand, help the listeners understand how that experience is very obviously vastly different than if you did not have cystic fibrosis. For sure. I mean, my story of cystic
0: fibrosis is, well, first of all, I just kind of want to preface this saying that a lot like cystic fibrosis, there's a lot of different experiences. There's a lot of different variabilities of the severity of the disease and everything like that. And, you know, pretty much cystic fibrosis really affects your whole body. What it's really known for is how much it affects the lungs. And, you know, that's pretty much what a lot of people have to stay on top of. But it has, you know, these indirect effects that lead to like diabetes, even, you know, like mental health things, anxiety, depression, everything like that because of everything you have to go through. So just kind of growing up for me, you know, when I was a baby, there's only, you know, kind of like guesstimations of how, you know, severe it's going to be. So uh, I was I was born in 1994 and, you know, there there was a it it was researched and people knew what CF was at the time, but it's not like today. Like there's so much research in medicine around CF currently. So the doctors like when I was born would tell my mom that, you know, I would live to like 10 or something like that. Like that's what they were telling her. Obviously my parents were terrified over that. And what, what's my life going to look like and everything like that. And, you know, growing up, luckily I was pretty healthy. Like growing up as a child, Uh, what happened to me was where I realized like where the severity can be uh, immense was in high school, high school, I caught mono and because of CF, it just kind of spiraled into a lot of different problems in my body all over the place. And I just had like surgery after surgery, after surgery, trying to clear out my lungs, my sinuses, I started having stomach problems and like I I was dying during that point, you know, like my lung function functions got absolutely terrible. Uh, Meaning so lung functions is something like with CF, you got to be on top of that. Uh, Just like, you know, it, it just pretty much measures how well you're breathing and growing up. I was, you know, above the hundredth percentile actually. But then like during this time I'm talking about it dropped all the way like into the 20th percentile, Mm. which is where they start talking about lung transplants and things like that. I didn't have to do that. The, my doctor at the time was really on top of kind of just listening to me and like that doctor really saved my life. I love him like forever, like, because there's a lot of, and I'm sure you can relate to this In, in the medical industry. There's a lot of, um, there's like, sometimes you just feel like you're really not being listened to. And this was like a doctor that I felt like was actually listening to me. And that was just, that was wonderful. That was life changing, honestly. And then the biggest thing also is when you're growing up with CF, I feel like death is on your mind a lot, not necessarily knowing how long you're going to live and everything like that, what kind of quality of life you're going to have. And so basically CF has turned from a terminal illness more towards a chronic disease now, due to the medications that have come out. And so there's actually more adults now with CF than like minors with CF, which is like a huge tipping of the scales. Like that's wild. like no one thought, you know, we would see something like that, like in my lifetime. And so now there's like a level of, I'd say the biggest problem, if you will, if you will, in the CF community currently is what does adulthood look like with CF family life, work life, like that's something that wasn't really explored a lot until recently. And so in my own personal experience, like being an adult with CF has been ridiculously hard. Uh, just trying to navigate
2: a whole bunch of kind of stuff. The parallels here to the cancer version of this are astonishing. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not really apples to apples, but the common thread is that, you know, cancer was a death sentence for you know hundreds of years yeah. and thanks to medical progress and you know DNA and genetics and all these things it's now what they're calling a life sentence for many many people you get Ooh. to live with the repercussions of it or live with it exactly and yes yeah I, I call back to um, a really I mean it, this is jargony nerd stuff but there was a, a, a publication in the early 2000s, from the CDC and a group called the Institute of Medicine, which said, oh my God, all these people are going to live. What do we do with them? And what does the rest (laughs) of their life look like? Oh no, help me. And you're describing the exact
0: same thing. So the research for the medicine that I'm talking about, that's kind of been life changing. There's been different like generations of the drug. And now it recently, I feel like it was in 2020, got to the point where, In the community, it's kind of called the miracle drug. Um, It's kind of like the first drug that goes in and changes uh, some of the mutation uh, that's wrong in like the genetic code. And so like it really it, it really helps out. It's helping out a lot of people. But before that came out, I was like a big proponent of when this thing does come out or like a cure for CF ever comes out. I feel like there needs to be a plan afterwards to deal with the mental side effects of Mm -hmm. that. I, I feel like you, you go your whole life dealing with these symptoms. Like what happens when you actually can go participate more in society? What happens when the option of having a family arises, when you have to go to work and like all this kind of stuff. And you know, my thought process process around that has actually panned out where you are seeing a lot of people with CF being depressed and being anxious, having identity crisis issues and things like that. And I feel like I'm also <laughs> I'm part of that group as well. It's been very jarring. It's, um, you know, I'm glad that my health is doing better. I'm more stable. But then at the same time, it's like I'm not still like 100 percent healthy to participate uh, like completely say like in a job without, you know, some type of assistance or something like that. And it's just, it's just jarring, you know, even like with, you know, I'm a father, I'm a husband and just being able to balance certain things and being able to take care of my health, but then also ha- still having my responsibilities of fatherhood and, and being a husband, like all of that has just been a, uh, a journey so far. How old I'll your kid? uh five five He's about to turn six soon a couple months from now, and yeah, feel very blessed there.
2: Let me ask you a question about that then. did you ever think of should I have a kid? a hundred well, no, actually because <laughs> with uh c f
0: nine i think i I don't know the exact statistic, but I think it's either like ninety seven or ninety nine percent It's definitely up there uh of men can't have children, and so no, not really. I never really thought about it too too much, to be honest. So, you know, with my my son right now, I actually adopted him. Uh like when I met my wife, um, he I was already see. born. Okay. And so I, I officially I like legally adopted him a couple years ago. And so that was a blessing. That was awesome. Cause like, yeah, I never really saw that in my cards. So that, that was awesome.
2: Completely. Yeah. I mean, I asked, again, you've educated me. I was not aware of that. And that's a harrowing statistic to know that infertility yeah. is a major side effect of this for men. I was going to ask because, you know, is there genetic testing in advance? Can you know in utero if this is something congenital? And, you know, for those like you who are born with it, will there one day be ways to get rid of it? You know, making science words up, you know, before the birth. Yeah. Yeah. So I have because like
0: I'm saying, I, I personally did never have any type of uh, hope of having a child. But I know, you know, just from things I've read and stuff, I have a vague idea of things. But yeah, genetic testing happens literally like the day a child's born for everybody. You can have genetic testing to see if your partner is a carrier. Um, if they're not a carrier of the genetic disorder, then like your child can't have CF. You know, both parents need to have like either have CF or be carriers of CF. Um, so there's definitely um, the ability to kind of guess, I suppose, if your child's going to have CF. Um, I don't know about, you know, as far as like during the pregnancy, if you could test where I'm not sure about all that. I'm not hundred percent sure about that.
2: Yeah. I'm just curious because I know a lot of the uh, amniocentesis research they're able to go in there now and just know a whole bunch more For sure. about the DNA of the baby in utero uh, or yeah. even through I mean adoption, surrogacy, IVF. I mean one can go in so many directions around the idea of designer babies, but yeah, the idea that you could actually make sure your baby doesn't have bad things in them before they're born, I'm in favor of that.
0: I am too. I mean when I was younger, kind of like before I was even, you know, informed of, you know, the infertility issues, there was always this lingering of like, yeah, I don't want my child to have this. Like, I don't I, I wouldn't want my child to go through this. You know, there, it, it almost like it would definitely make me feel very guilty. <laughs> and, you know, for me personally, there actually is I'm like in that small percentage where I possibly could have children. It's just like a very, very, very low chance. And so. Like I said, it's it's been like on my mind a little bit. Um, I haven't been too concerned about it just because of like how low the chance is. Like, I feel like I would have to do something like IVF, like you were just talking about. And so, yeah, but I think the challenge, the struggle I'm currently having even with my son now is more of like how my life with CF currently kind of affects my parenting. I feel like that's where my problem I currently have lies. Uh, yeah definitely like I'm, I'm just like figuring it all out basically
2: well y- wait wait no one gave me the here's how to raise a kid manual yeah for sure for sure like there I know
0: no one has it <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's I feel like there's definitely a different level of figuring it out just being able to be transparent you know with my wife if like I'm not feeling well enough to do something or you know things like that so it's like equal level of Parenting, you know, just having that communication, and then also, I'm hoping, just like as you know, my son grows up and everything like that, just having this like open dialogue of like how it affects me, right? It may even affect our relationship. Like, I want him to be able to come to me and be able to talk to me about like how it's affecting him, right? Because I know it's gonna emotionally affect him in some capacity. Uh, so I just want to be able to have that open dialogue there. Like, hopefully, he's like he feels comfortable enough. To have that talk whenever he's ready to have that talk.
2: Well, I can tell just by hearing in your voice how much you love this little boy and oh, what he yeah. means to you. To me. And you know, yeah, this is going to sound like a cat poster. I'm raising twins now, and my boy and a girl are going to be 12 soon. Mm-hmm. Love defines the communication basis of a family, and if you lead with love and compassion and hugs and this isn't like going soft on them for like pooping in their pants when they're 12 and they shouldn't be doing <laughs> that or breaking everything in your yeah. house. That's just parenting. <laughs> you just, yeah <laughs> whether you have anything or not in your body, that's just parenting one one before we take a break. I really wanted to go back to the one thing you mentioned before, which is the mental health side of I'm going to metaphor this like coming out of a crisis. The last day of treatment is the scariest in cancer because you yeah. got this. You're Ooh. used to this identity and this handrail and this guardrail. And then, you're like, oh, go live your life. You're done. And who am I? What do I do? It becomes incredibly stressful. Can you just speak a little more about how you've reconciled this as you moved into parenthood and now, yeah. you know, happily encroaching your 30s?
0: Yeah, I would like to be able to say I have figured that out to some kind of capacity. But I feel like it's kind of like an everyday uh, learning and understanding for me currently, being in therapy and everything like that. Just trying to work everything out because it is kind of like an ongoing challenge. Like, I don't know if it is something that you ever can kind of completely deal with per se like i feel like there's just like a lot of things you have to accept to be able to move through those kind of obstacles that arise but i feel like it's i think the thing that helps me the most with it is man that's that's hard to i I feel like you like you're saying i feel like you'd be able to relate to this (laughs) like i feel like it's hard to speak on it is it's it's hard to even explain and vocalize the like gigantic impact it has on your life. And you know, even like on the CF side of things, it's not like I'm cured or healed or anything. Like this drug I'm talking about, like it does help drastically, but the drug itself has a bunch of side effects. Uh so it's kind of learning how to deal with those. It's kind of like almost trading side effects in a yeah. sense, but um you are like the side effects of the drug aren't as bad as say you know just like the side effects of having cf but uh like the drug itself has mental health um Mm -hmm. you know impacts and everything like that and yeah it's just kind of this balancing act i feel like of trying to stay as balanced as possible and it's a juggling act it feels like
2: well again like just hearing how you're mature beyond your years because you grew up in a way that most children don't you have a real sense of your body and you know what little things go on here and there yes the juggling act is real but it's just how you're able to multitask your way through getting by every day every week Mm -hmm. every month and hugging that kid every day a thousand times exactly yeah definitely definitely All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we got a huge surprise for you guys when we come back with Bobby Foster.
1: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home.
2: Bobby, I want to lean into this thing. I'm just, I was genuinely blown away personally, professionally, emotionally, just we're both musicians. We're both artists from very different ends of the spectrum. And I was made aware that you are a rapper, a a spoken word poet. I found your Mm -hmm. YouTube channel, which we will link to in the show notes and make sure everyone knows. But you produced a spoken word album called Mirror. Mirror. And yes. I went on YouTube, I listened to most of them, and I was just brought into a place where I wanted to close my eyes, shut the lights, and just have an emotional reaction to what I knew oh, wow. was probably something really difficult for you to put pen to paper and speak to. How? Yeah. What, what got you into this mode? Because you went very dark and very real years yeah. and years after <laughs> Yeah. Your life was becoming your life. What what got you into this mode where I had to get this out of me? Wow. So
0: <laughs> that's a great question. Um, you know, it's it definitely is tied to CF. Um, so my whole entire youth, I guess you could say, was about basketball. i I like lived and breathed basketball and due to my health like that time i was talking about where everything was going downhill i pretty much you know one thing led to another i couldn't really play competitively anymore and i just knew i wasn't going to be able to go to college and kind of continue that career path of basketball and that was just disastrous for me once again it's kind of like we were talking about with the medicine changing everything like giving up Kind of that passion in in your youth is like very drastic and life changing and so I think I naturally kind of just picked up writing like i I always loved music and I feel like I just kind of picked up writing so at first I wasn't even doing poetry or raps or anything I was actually I wrote a novel first actually <laughs> and you know that just came from I was playing a video game and I was like, no, what? One day I want to write video games and I was talking to my friend. He's like, well, why don't you write one right now? I was like, oh, okay. And that just kind of like turned into a novel, and I. That's when I realized I love writing. And then you know I started writing some poems and they were terrible. And I started writing <laughs> some raps. Yeah, yeah. And they were really bad. They're I, I'm glad they're not on the internet anywhere. They were really really bad. And <laughs> then I get to college and. My first week at, I went to the University of Central Florida. In the first week, they have all these events for the freshmen uh, to like acclimate them into college. And one of my favorite rappers was performing, his name is Big Sean, was performing at the school. And I was like, wow, that's just like kind of divine, you know? And so I go, I get these like VIP tickets so I could be front row. And it was the first concert I ever went to. And it was just very, I was like, this is what I gotta do when I get older. And then so I kind of got into rapping. I released, you know, make like a mixtape here, mixtape there. And then what basically happens, I had this like traumatic life event. And I wrote a spoken word poem because I felt like I could better get out my emotions doing that than in rapping. And I go to my my oldest brother's best friend heard it and he brought me to an open mic and I do it. And I get like a standing ovation. It was about CF and I get this like standing ovation. And then afterwards someone came up to me and they were like, my friend actually has CF. And like, I didn't know, like, I just didn't know all of these things. And I was like, wow, that's powerful. And then one thing led to another, found a poetry club at my college, joined that, did like a national um, spoken word competition uh, and just really like got into it. And then I made that album in that, album i made mirror was basically this culmination of kind of um i had like maybe like three or four poems and i went to college for creative writing and so i'm big on narrative and so i had this kind of through line of the album and then i like filled it in with some other poems to have it be this like kind of complete cohesive project so that that's all the backstory and how i how i got there
2: (laughs) You did mention at the top of the show that your parents were told you might be dead by 10, which is the title yeah. of, of, the, of, the, uh, of, of the album. I mean, A, you're like 17 years past, I guess, your supposed expiration date, which is fantastic to be able to say. Yeah. But I would love you to give us like a high line on the dead by 10. And we want to cut to a 30 second clip of it.
0: meditate every day as i sit and reflect on my life i can only see everything that's missing i call it my holy place i start off with a deep breath one i'm taken back to when i was younger Back when my disease originally manifested. Back when I didn't understand the concept of death. Back when I loved hide and seek. The concept of vanishing and appearing. It was all so unique, but it doesn't seem all that exciting knowing now that on any given day I could really disappear for good, too.
2: <laughs> Jesus, Bobby. <laughs> that, was, that was intense. That was intense. Yeah, um, for sure. Was there a level of catharsis in your artistic soul? to get this out of your body?
0: Funny enough, I feel like <laughs> I was actually really excited when I wrote that poem because I was working on it for the longest. Um, and, and, you know, actually, most of my poems don't take me that long to write. But this one took me like six or seven months. Like, I feel like it just went through these different drafts. And it was completely different when I like had originally done it. I feel like the concept I was writing. So as you listen to the whole poem, I count up to 10 and then I count from 10 down to one. And so it has this, I don't even know what like poetry device that is, but yeah, that was, that was the concept. It was a framing device. There you go. That's what it's called. And I was kind of just writing into that and the traumatic life. Actually, no, that wasn't even the one I was mentioning, but something that happened to me is like my father died when I was uh, 20. And, I originally think that poem was completely about him and I'm, I'm pretty sure there's lines about him in that poem, but then like, it kind (laughs) of, I feel like everything I do, CF always creeps its way in there. (laughs) So CF like creeped its way in there. And then I was just kind of writing to that. And yeah, I mean, that's, that was like the final version of it. And I think the catharsis point that you're talking about happened when I did it live,
2: Mm, um, live
0: when I did it, yes. yeah. When I did it live at like another open mic night, it was, it was amazing. And actually the most beautiful thing was I did a, um, I got invited to a high school to do a, a like a public talk and I did the poem. Um, and so like, I also got into public speaking and I would always use that poem to start my talk. And it kind of like broke the ice. Like people knew who I was. People kind of knew like the obstacles I was going through. And it, it's it's kind of just like shocking to get up <laughs> on this stage, not say anything, and just start with that poem. <laughs> and also in those moments, like talking to the kids afterwards, just like seeing how much it affected them to, and like inspired them in a lot of different ways. Because that poem's not necessarily about. CF, like that the poem is about perseverance and about not even looking at it from a positive light, but seeing what is real and, and true and living life in spite of those things. And yeah, it's, it's definitely like one of my favorite things that I've written for sure.
2: No, that's, that's beautiful. Speaking as a fellow musician and performing artist, there's nothing like live to oh, just yeah, fuel definitely. the soul and get the audience hooked. And the yeah. theatrics of that that power, is it's like cocaine. It really is. You just It, it really is. It's fantastic. I feel like yeah. like you never really fancied yourself this or fancied yourself that. And you wound up being a very prolific writer on your blog. I want to read a couple of these article titles. You know, okay. CF is in my lungs, and I'm trying to keep it out of my head. Great title. Oh, yeah. Doing better yeah, by yeah. doing less. I think that's a good cat poster. Lesson learned. Healing pain with love, clearly, that's just like, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad now, what do I do? <laughs> What's yep. going on here? <laughs> and then I want to touch on real, something really important, which we cannot overlook, which is you, you are a man of color, and mm-hmm. we have to talk about the obviousness, which is 5% of people with CF are black, and yet, mm-hmm. you know, the disparities and sort of just the, the unintentional or intentional hostilities pervade yeah. everyone in this country if you are not white and it's something we talk about earnestly here on this show on my other show on all of the programs it's this i still think it's under discussed and you can't talk about it enough but i was hoping you could really talk to how you were black with cf and a young guy managing this and were you still not being taken seriously or misunderstood or kind of like ignored? Man. So
0: (laughs) I wrote, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right about this. I I believe I wrote that after George Floyd, because there was just so much talk about racial issues and and everything going on. Obviously that incited a lot of different conflicts in the country and, and all this kind of stuff. And I just felt like, uh, like you're saying that topic of, race in the in the medical industry is um definitely overlooked especially within the cystic fibrosis community specifically because like you said only five percent of you know people with CF are black and I felt like it was almost my duty to tell my story with that because kind of going back to the poems I would do my poems like they like invited me out to the cf headquarters to do a a, a couple poems and like a public talk and i've done some like different events and one of the people that works for like the cf foundation came up to me and was like you can be the person that you never had when you were young with CF. Cause like there were no role models. There were no CF role models when I was young. Like there was no internet to find a CF role model. And you know, there was just people weren't living that long. So th- I, I took that to heart to be honest with you, because I was like, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that kind of like will need this guidance. And like, I have this voice and I want to use it. And the thing also where I have a very unique case is that my mom is white. My dad was black and this is kind of like going into that adulthood thing again. But like when I was younger, you know, my mom is with me at all of my doctor's visits, all of my hospital visits. And I saw a gigantic stark difference in how I was treated when my mom would be with me than when I would go to the hospital by myself when I became an adult. Like just from how nurses would talk to me, how doctors would talk to me. Like one time I went in, I was in extreme pain, so much pain. I still don't know what happened to me. I think my muscles were failing for like whatever reason and it was it was the worst pain I've ever been through in my life. And I'm like crying, screaming for like pain medicine. And I think they like thought I was you know like some type of um I don't like you know, you know like the people they think just go to the hospital try to get some drugs. Yeah. I feel like they thought that about me for whatever reason cuz I legit like I had my roommate at the time, like, call my mom, like, get down here. Like, something's wrong with Bobby. And as soon as she got there, they gave me pain medicine. <laughs> like, oh it was my- like as soon as she walked in the room. And and it took like half an hour. And I was just like in a ton of pain. And th- there's little things like that. And it's really also hard to talk about because you can't prove it. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, they go, oh, yeah, I'm refusing you service because you're black. Like, so you can't prove it 100 percent. But it's obvious when you look at statistics, even like with black women in pregnancy Mm -hmm. and like, you know, the mortality rate there and how stark of a different it is. Like statistics tell the story when it comes to that. And so, yeah, it's definitely been like for it, like I still live close to my mom. And it's like if I go to the hospital, like I'm kind of scared to go without her, to be honest, like I because there's been a few different times where like things like that have happened. And it's just like it's scary. You know, it's kind of terrifying. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of been my adult, how it's affected me as an adult. Um, And it definitely had an effect on me as like a kid, too. But I feel like it's been more dangerous effects since I've been an adult, I feel like.
2: Yeah, there are way too many stories like this that are just not okay. Yeah. Um, I was hoping we could round out the show by having you pick one of the titles from Monster to close out today's experience talking to you. And oh, from the, from the album? From the album. If, we, if you could pick any one of the remaining eight that we ooh. haven't chosen, what would be most meaningful for you to share with the listeners?
0: Definitely, ooh, there's two. Monster and The Bottle. Those two are the ones that, you know, even all these years later, like five years later, those two still still ring true to me. I'm a monster. I'm supposed to be dead. And maybe for my mom's sake, I should have been. The ultimate judge gave me an immediate death sentence spelled out as cystic fibrosis, a genetic abnormality that seeped into my DNA, leaving my life permanently stained. The word death ingrained in every vein was I put on this earth in vain. I'm a fraud. I was delivered in pain because I was supposed to be dead. I was no better than a monster Frankenstein could create. I can hear the doctors. I'm going to consume too much tonight. I don't want to. But if I do, there's a chance I'll be able to drown out everything from my past, so I take a shot. I never knew a bottle would be a parasite that could get me sick, transfer its nature onto me until it left my mind stranded in the wilderness. I've tried to put down this bottle before, but somehow it always seems to magically reappear in my hands, and I figure, hey, if this could pop out of anywhere, maybe it could do the ultimate magic trick and make my father come back alive. I pour a tsunami from the bottle into my mouth. It feels like lava. As I hope it melts away. Bobby,
2: I'm I'm tingling. I mean, artist to artist, human to human, I'm I'm in absolute like emotional impact state right now from your words (laughs) and everything you are doing with your life. You know, it's it's hard to contextualize you in like a quick out. Bobby Foster is. You mm-hmm. know which we're supposed to do on the show, but you. I mean, are, I can do it. Yeah, I, I feel
0: like I could. I could summarize it. Read, you want to read your own? Read your own bio.
2: <laughs> you know, in Yiddish, I mean, in Yiddish, we have the term mensch. It just means. What's that mean? Mensch means just like you're a good soul, a good spirit to oh, the thank earth, you. and everything you touch resonates with good spirit and good karma. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I needed to hear that. Thank you. You are deserving of your success. I know you're going to be the best dad ever, which you already are, except for me, because I have to be the guy that says I'm the best dad ever. But it's not a dad contest. <laughs> as, as you should, as <laughs> you should. <laughs> Con- I mean, content creator, rapper, producer, spoken word artist, certified life coach. We didn't get to that, but everyone should check that out too. But like, I think one of the most passionate CF advocates, spokespersons, and just human beings, artists, creators, I'm in awe of what you're doing with your life, how you're living it, how you're talking about it, and what you stand for. Uh, Where can listeners learn more all about you? Definitely. So right now...
0: I'm most active on YouTube. Like you were saying, I do content creation. So definitely, you you know, YouTube has all of my links to my Twitter, to my Instagram, all that kind of stuff. But on social media, my handle is usually underscore Bobby Foster. So you can look that up. And yeah, like if anybody wants to talk about anything or questions or advice or anything like that, y'all can definitely reach out to me. I, I love, meeting and talking to people. That's like my that's, that's like my true passion right now, to be honest with you. Uh, just trying to have like any type of impact right there.
2: Well, Bobby Foster, thank you so much for coming on Product. We will put links in the episode description to everything we talked about here on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: that's all for now if you like this show be sure to subscribe leave a review follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen tell us your rare disease story in your own voice by leaving a message for us at 855 audio 66 and we might just use it in a future show nordpod is a product of the national organization for rare disorders and off script health our executive producers are matthew zachary leslie nordstrom and andrew mcdowell our senior producer is valerie macken NordPod is recorded by Matthew Zachary and mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. Our theme music is by The Salvatones. Learn more about the music of The Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at That's media at offscript.com. Or visit us on the web at offscript.com. For more information about Nord, visit nordpod.org.